Well, good morning again, and welcome. Some announcements that I have for you this morning are this, and we've been talking about this, but are still in need of two or three more people for our grounds crew um, who can kind of mow the yard here and do some edging um, this summer. Um, now through September. They kind of go into dark mode after September, um, but this is kind of the heavy work time. And this usually takes about two to two and a half hours, and we have teams of people that work on this together. Um, so you'd work with another person and be once every six weeks. So that would kind of be the commitment that you'd be signing up for, and we would love to have your help. And the way to do that would be to sign up on your Connect card that's on your seat there, or for those of you that are watching online on our digital connect card, or you can also text the word grounds to the Brookview number that's there behind me or on your screen at home as well. Um, many of you know that we gather food every single month and supplies for our um, partnerships in the community that are doing incredible work to help kids that are in need and are facing um, food scarcity as well as families that are facing homelessness. And the two groups we work with are the Nourishing Network, the Edmonds School District um, Foundation for Schools, and we support a local elementary school. Every month we go and we have a, what they call a pop-up pantry. And um, we put groceries in bags and we put them in people's cars as they come through. And we partner with other churches. We partner with the PTA to do that as well. Um, and then just some community um, people. So lots of food goes into the cars, but we have specific things that we bring every month, like the fresh produce, um, which is something that's harder to get um, because many of the supplies that families get are um, what they call shelf-stable. So it's like dry milk, and, and it's not apples, and it's not bananas. So such a sweet, huge gift when you can bring those things to help out. And then for Vision House, they have a residence store. And the way that they use that store is rent incentive, essentially. So when families pay their rents on time, they pay a, a, a portion that they've decided is reasonable based on their incomes as they're kind of getting them to financial responsibility and being able to be outside of that wraparound support, um, which is really, really cool. And then they have classes that they attend on budgeting and parenting and um, just all sorts of things that where there are skills gaps, they come in and fill those needs. And so when they come to those classes, um, they get little tickets and they get to shop in this resident store. And so we get to just kind of stock those shelves with some extra items that are nice and fun for them. Things that you look at it and go, oh, that's nice and fun. Kids shampoo and toothpaste and but um, it is a sweet, sweet thing. And we have people who bring in teff flour and Ethiopian coffee. And it's just really, really cool. So thank you in advance for all that you're doing to make that happen every month. And our next distribution is happening not this Tuesday, but the following. And so if you would like to see the digital sign-up list that kind of lists the needs that we have, and you can say, hey, I can bring a six-pack of toilet paper or... I can bring a bottle of kids shampoo. And um, that digital list is available to you by signing up on the Connect card to help um, with Cedarway. It's a box that you can check there. Um, or if you want to instantly, I kind of like instant things in my life, you would text the word helping 
to that Brookview number that's behind me, and that'll automatically push the list to you. I'm actually thinking about this and going, I think I forgot to change it. You guys are noticing that right now. I'm getting some head nods. So I'm going to do that right when I'm done here. I'm going to make the real list. Um, and if you already text the word helping to me, I will just take a quick look at that and shoot you the right list. Um, I'll look at the timestamp. Okay. Whew, I, for, I had a wedding yesterday, and it was really fun, but I'm off my game <laughs> a little bit. Um, but I will end by saying we love hearing from you. We love it when you fill out that Connect card. If there's a way that you want to respond to anything this morning, if you have prayer requests, we have a team of people that prays for you throughout the week as well. And if you're watching from home, welcome, and please fill out the online form as well. That's all I got. Some of you that know me, you know my, uh, my family has a rich tradition uh, in the field of education, teaching. So my mom was an elementary school teacher for her entire career. So as a kid, I just remember like our, our dinner table conversations more often than not. We're talking about classrooms, behavior problems. We're talking about t teaching techniques and, that, and strategies, all of that. And then um, my parents divorced when I was a baby. So my dad moved to California and he had a career as an attorney for the California Teachers Association. And then when I was 10, he married my stepmom, wonderful woman, uh, who was a middle school teacher and eventually became a political activist for the California Teachers Association. And of course, as a pastor, uh, some of my role around here involves, involves teaching. Um, and then my oldest, Kate, is now a middle school math teacher and uh, my son Cameron started an English school in Haiti where he teaches and administrates the school. And Jen, she went to school. <laughs> so, no, actually she's teaching in kids' church all the time. So, okay, so we got one kid left. Can anyone guess what our 16-year-old Brooklyn wants to do for a career? Yeah, she wants, she wants to be a nurse. She wants to be a nurse. And we're like, what is wrong with you? But she's 16, she's got time to, to figure this out, right? But for so much of my life, uh, dinner conversations have revolved around teaching. I mean, ever since I could talk. And so with Kate living back at home with us in this season, this has become true for me again. And so recently in middle school math, she's been teaching inequality, or equalities. Yes? Inequalities. In inequalities. It feels like you're not even supposed to say that in our culture. <laughs> You're teaching it in the schools. That's horrible. Uh, 
Well, okay, so for some of you, you're like, what, what are inequalities again? It's it, like greater than and less than. You guys remember greater than and less than? Okay, good, good. Yes, good. There was a middle school teacher that did their, okay, so how many of you loved math? Okay, how many of you did not, did not like math? Okay, all right. So for a, a ton of Kate students, this whole inequalities, greater than and less than thing, has, it gets kind of tough, um, especially for a lot of them when you get to negative numbers. Just confusing for them. So she's at dinner, she's, she's like, I got these kids that will just raise their hand, like, Miss Huguenin, how can three be bigger than negative 49? 49 is bigger than three. That can't be right, right? Like, you don't make sense. This is stupid. You're stupid. I don't get it. This sucks. <laughs> and she's got one student who, when the, when the kid is frustrated, just goes, Miss Huguenin, you're wrong. That's wrong. How many of you would love to be a middle school teacher? <laughs> a couple of, yeah, okay, God bless you guys. It's not me, man. I'm still traumatized from middle school. And honestly, I can't believe that anyone would willingly choose to go back there. But Kate loves it, and, uh, and not that long ago, she was explaining a, a teaching concept to me, and she was like, Dad, so the mind works kind of like a puzzle. So if you throw out to somebody a concept that doesn't attach to anything that they already know, it's hard for the mind to like categorize it, to comprehend it and retain it, to make sense of it. So what you wanna do is you wanna attach a new concept to something that they already understand and have a category for, right? So Kate has had to try to figure out how to help these kids understand negative numbers. Like what everyday life experience do they already understand and, and there could be several that she could use. There's probably lots. But the one that's really worked for her, like recently, has been the concept of temperature. So she's like, which is colder? Negative 3 degrees or negative 10 degrees? And they're like, oh, we get that. That's negative 10. She's like, okay, which is hotter? 2 degrees or negative 10 degrees? And suddenly they're like, oh, okay, light bulb on. So this concept, like attach a new idea to one that they already understand, take something unfamiliar and connect it to something familiar, this is what effective teachers do. And when you look at the most effective teacher of all time, Jesus, he was a master at this. Okay, so he teaches about the kingdom of God and he teaches about what God is like and even his own identity in this way. By attaching something unfamiliar to something that's familiar. So we're in this series looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Jesus connects to the familiar scene of Jewish people for Moses and the burning bush. So God speaks of himself in that scene saying, I am the great I am. And so Jesus plays off of that, and he uses these I am statements to communicate things. And in John chapter 10, he actually mixes two different metaphors. I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. And not only does the I am language connect to the burning bush scene for them, but the image of God as a shepherd was already all over the Old Testament scriptures for them. They were familiar with this. Like it was woven all through the prophets and the Psalms everywhere. Most famously, it's, it's in Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay, your rod, your shepherd's rod and your staff, they comfort me. So all through the Old Testament, God is, is, is pictured as, as a kind shepherd. And then Jesus pops up one day and he says, I am the good shepherd. And it's kind of like a tune they've heard before, a tune that they already are familiar with. They would have memorized scripture passages about this. They would have, they would have sung songs about it. And then before this, Jesus calls himself the gate. He's like, I am, I'm also the gate for the sheep. And then he just sort of bounces back and forth between these, these two metaphors. Like, I'm the good shepherd, and then I'm like the gate for the sheep, and I'm the good shepherd, and then I'm, I'm also the gate. And, and he just sort of oscillates back and forth. And so last week, I asked Bryce to preach on the gate, and he, and he ended up, he's like, yeah, I'm going to spend more time on the good shepherd. And I'm like, that's my sermon for the next week, bro. But because these just sort of go back and forth, that's just how it works. They're, they're tied into each other. So let me just catch you up a little bit from, from what, what Bryce talked about last week. When Jesus says, I'm the gate, he's talking to a group of Pharisees, these religious leaders, these guys who think that they're in charge of the religious things of Israel. And they are challenging Jesus in a very particular way. And so he's setting himself up against them. He's saying, okay, these guys think they know what they're doing, but they're actually thieves. They're dangerous. They're climbing into the sheep pen another way, and they're threatening the sheep. I'm the true gate. I'm the one you come through to enter into the fullness of life with God. And it's set up as an argument, as a picture that his audience could understand. Because not only were they familiar with the Old, Old Testament imagery about this, but this was their everyday life. Right? They saw it everywhere. They were very familiar with sheep and shepherds. Many of them were shepherds themselves or had been at some point, and they were all around everywhere. They were familiar with this, this concept the way that we in our culture are familiar with coffee shops. Right? So here's, here's how Jesus starts this conversation in John 10. Try to feel the tension that exists between Jesus and the Pharisees. It says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is having this confrontation with the Pharisees, and his disciples and a much larger crowd are listening in, and he uses the example of sheep pens 
as access to God saying, these guys are not the right way in. I am the right way in. Because in the Northwest where we live, that, that kind of language can feel dangerous. Like in our culture right now, we, we resist things that are narrow, right? We, we like tolerance and openness, and you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways to do anything. And so from that viewpoint, as I'm trying to consider life with God, it's easy to just try to like hodgepodge together some sort of religious framework. And Jesus can be part of that, but, but only one of the things, right? To say, to say he's the thing, that feels narrow and restrictive. Did you guys say that's true? So this is what most of us are feeling most places that we go, right? And these I am statements of Jesus can seem so narrowing and so awkward. And so it's like, are, are we even allowed to, to say things like that? I mean, don't, don't we realize where we are? This is, this is the Pacific Northwest, right, in 2023. I mean, don't we like options? So the way of spiritual life these days often looks kind of like this. You know, I'm going to take, take a little Buddhism and a little wheatgrass, <laughs> some essential oils, right? I'm just going to hodgepodge them all together. And some of you are like, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy, Jason. Essential oils are amazing. <laughs> right? In fact, I've got a pamphlet. You want me, you want me, you want me to give you a pamphlet? Okay, my, I'm, I'm not down on essential oils. Okay, my point is, these days, um, a lot of people try to sort of mishmash spirituality together. And I get it. I get why, there's this, why we want to do this. It it feels better to say that we're, we're tolerant and we're kind of open to everything. And in the culture we're in, nothing is more important than tolerance. But can we just acknowledge some of the problems with this? Because this leads to some problems. Um, while it's nice to have openness and, and options, too many options can create a ton of anxiety. Like there's a nervousness that happens when I start to feel like it's all up to me. Like, it's all up to me to figure out everything and somehow piece this all together in, in just the right way. Like, so, like I, I would have to study all of the things in order to be able to move forward with any particular thing. And I never really feel informed enough. Like, too many options can produce anxiety. Let me, let me, give, you, let me give you some examples. Have any of you had a cold and been to, like, Walgreens or Rite Aid recently? <laughs> I don't know if this happens to you, but I stand in the aisle and I'm looking at all of the options and I start to feel anxiety, especially if there's another person in the aisle with me because I'm like, I know I'm going to cough or sneeze. And in order to look at all the boxes, I have to touch them all. And I'm just like, oh, there's so many, there's so many stinking options. And I'm looking at the thing and I'm like, oh man, should I take a pill or a gel cap or a liquid? Wow, like I could spray something up my nose. <laughs> like, which of these should I do? And the more I, the more I try to read, here's what happens to me. The more I try to read, the worse it gets. Right? Like I come in with a, a headache and a sore throat and maybe a nose that's kind of stuffy, and I start reading, and I'm like, oh, chest, con chest congestion. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I... 
Oh, watery eyes. <laughs> huh, I hadn't really thought of that either. Like, I guess, uh, do I have watery eyes? Like, my eyes are kind of itchy. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I need that, right? Joint pain? I, ha I have been a little achy, <laughs> right? But also, I'm getting kind of old. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know, right? I mean, with, with, when there's too many options and too much information, what happens is it just, it can create all this anxiety. I don't know about you, some of you, some of you are like, this is exactly how I feel in a coffee shop. You, some of you are like, I need a tutorial. I mean, there's whole milk, 2%, non-fat, oat milk, soy milk. I can go whip, no whip, decaf, half-calf, triple shot, iced, hot, and it goes on and on, right? Or how about, how about restaurants? Has anybody, has anybody been to the Cheesecake Factory? Dude, the menu is like a freaking catalog. It's just page after page, like volume after volume of stuff. And, and some of you are people that you're like, well, I have to read the entire menu before I can choose my item. Yeah, like at a place like the Cheesecake Factory, that is, that is horrible. It's horrible for you. It's anxiety producing for you. You know what else? The people that eat with you, they don't like you. <laughs> They don't like you. They're not going to tell you. They don't like you. You need to pick faster. And you're like, yeah, but I did that once, and I panicked, and I picked, and then somebody else got what I should have gotten, and now I'm all disappointed. Wah. Here's, here's what I'm saying. Too many options creates anxiety. And these are, these are like silly examples, right? But there are more serious ones. There, there are high-stakes things in life that really matter. And, and people don't know what to do. They don't know where to get good information. Like there are people that are scouring YouTube trying to figure out how to save their marriage or how to save their soul or how to find freedom from their fears or their addictions or whatever. And they're listening to some 24-year-old influencer, right? Hey, guys. <laughs> because they sound confident. They're, they're trying to, to just piece something together because they're like, I don't know, like this person says this and this person says that and one person says, you're going to destroy your kids if you do this. Another person says, if you don't do that, your kids will be wrecked. You know, if somebody says the exact opposite, it just produces all this anxiety. It's like your kid has ADHD, well, try melatonin. No, 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 no. You should never give your child melatonin. And you're just like, oh my gosh. So... So this is important. When Jesus comes and he says, I am the way. I am the light of the world. Follow me as I lead you. I am the gate. Go through me. You can trust me. What, what he's saying is, when it comes to life with God and being a part of his kingdom, you can rest. You can, you can relax. Right? He's, he's saying, there, there is a way, and, and I will show you the way. You don't have to know everything about everything. Just follow me. Because when the stakes are high enough, and you don't have time to know everything about everything, then you need somebody who's going to show you the way. Uh, imagine that, that you discover that you have life-threatening cancer, and you sit down with your oncologist to determine a treatment plan. Here's what you don't want. 
You don't want that meeting to be like this. You don't want your doctor to give you this huge box filled with file folders and then say, well, you know, here's all the research over the last 30 years on your particular cancer and all the treatments that have been used and here, here there's like all the specifics of, of every treatment and the success rates and how it varies for males and females and people of different age and underlying health, con you know, with underlying health conditions. Like in this box, there's all the side effects that there are for each treatment and percentages of life expectancy. So here's what you should do. Just read through it all and then let me know what you want to do. Like you can even sort of hodgepodge treatment options together if you want, you know, whatever. Just let me know. If a doctor did that to you, would it not be like, what the heck? Are you a doctor? Like, aren't you supposed to help me? Aren't, aren't you supposed to know the best way forward and show me the way? I mean, isn't that what you want when the stakes actually are high and you have a limited amount of time? Here's the deal, guys. In life, the stakes are high. You have one life to live, and Jesus stands in front of you, and he says, I am the gate. I am the way to fullness of life with the Father. And I know that that sounds like super narrow, but when you, when you really think about it, everything is narrow. It's all narrow. I mean, have, have you guys not been surprised at how narrow tolerance has become? I mean, it, it is, it's amazing how quickly you are canceled if you send out a bad tweet. Like if you say or do the wrong thing, how quickly you're cut off from your friends, from your family, from your community, whatever. It's turning out that this theoretically tolerant world we're living in is actually not very tolerant. It's not going for it very well. The project is failing. And the truth is, the world around us, in the uber-woke, like, very, very uh, accepting culture that we live in, it's really narrow. And it requires that you behave and you speak in just the right way. And this is where Jesus is amazing. The, the narrowness of Jesus is incredibly open and warm. He's saying, anyone can come and follow me. Anyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or haven't done. It doesn't matter if you haven't done everything right. You can come and you can follow me because I am the gate. Anyone can come to the Father through me if you just trust and receive me. Whereas the, the other kinds of narrow, narrowness, they require you to act and behave and say just the right things in just the right ways to get all the phrases right, to get all the updated language right, to love all the right things, to hate all the right things, to support all the right things, to stand against all the right things. And you have to know all the right things. You have to stay informed or you're out. But no one's really concerned about your heart and your life. Just your behavior. Just that you say all the right things and never the wrong things. Jesus, on the other hand, is like, you know what? The Father and I will take anybody. You just come right in. You, you come right in and we will show you the way. It will take a lot of time for you to learn and that's okay. We will be patient with you. But you are always welcome. 
Trust, follow, learn. But more than anything, more than anything, allow yourself to be loved and accepted just as you are, and then let us show you the way. The narrowness of Jesus is more open than anything else that's on offer. And in his day, he was competing with another kind of narrowness, right? The narrowness of the Pharisees. The way of the Pharisees was to have a gazillion religious practices and make sure that you did it all just right. And to the people who were unable to understand all this or to do it or to practice it, Jesus, Jesus comes and he says, just follow me. Enter through me. I am the gate. And if you trust me, I will show you the way home. And now Jesus continues... And he kind of turns his focus back to the, to the shepherd image. So notice the, the warmth and the inclusiveness of his words here. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Which is a reference to the healing of the blind man in the previous chapter in John 9. And Jesus simply says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. I'm the kind of shepherd that's willing to die for the sheep. I'm willing to lay down my life for the sheep and my sheep recognize my voice. They follow me because they've learned to trust me. So for first century Jewish people, this was an analogy they understood. I mean, for us now, like, as Bryce mentioned last week, sheep and sheep pens and shepherds are, that's not ordinary life. Like, how many of you have ever raised sheep? <laughs> not, not a single one of you. We are so ignorant. <laughs> and I, I certainly haven't, you know, so you know what I have to do? I have to, like, do research on this. Uh, but let me give you little, just very quick background on sheep. First of all, sheep are dumb. <laughs> They're not bright. And they can't see very well. So they, they learn to recognize and trust and follow a voice. When they wander off on their own, sheep are in danger. They, 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 they stumble into holes. They, like, walk off of cliffs. They get devoured by wolves. So just to be clear, in this metaphor, you and I, we're sheep. <laughs> it's not a super flattering image. But Jesus is saying, okay, look, I am here to protect and guide you. So learn to recognize and trust my voice and follow me. Jesus says, the theme that's kind of here is, 
My sheep listen to my voice. Okay, the, the, the challenge with this is it can cause people to wonder, okay, but like, do I hear his voice? Like, am I one of the ones that can hear his voice or am I one of the other ones? I, I don't know that I actually hear him that well. And if that's the case, well, what does that mean? If I don't hear very well, then like, where do I stand with him? Maybe there are people that, that hear and then there's other people that, that don't. What if I'm the wrong sort of person? What if I'm, what if I'm not one of the spiritual ones? What if, what if I don't have whatever it is that's, that's required for this? And there can be a lot of insecurity around this. And, and maybe some of you, you have a church background where, where like hearing God, it looked a, a certain way. And so there were other people that, that seemed to be able to do something that you couldn't. And you always felt like an outsider, like, like whatever it was, you didn't have it. And people would say things like, you know, God told me to do this or God told me to do that. And you just vacillated back and forth between wondering, are, are they just making that up? Right? Or, or what's wrong with me? Because I don't feel like God speaks to me. And so you're like, are they, are they hearing an audible voice? Is this an inner feeling that somehow they've come to recognize as Jesus? What, what are they talking about? And if that's, if that's been you, I, I just want to say something that I hope frees some of you. And this, this might be really important for some of you to hear. The confidence you have in your life with God is not dependent on your ability to listen. Your confidence is dependent on his ability to lead. So like, he's a good shepherd. He's good at this. Right? You and I, I don't care who you are, we are not good at this. In fact, we are downright bad at this. All of us are bad at this. Me included. I mean, like, okay, we, we know from the scriptures that we're sinful, right? That's, a, that's an unpleasant term in our culture. But from the scriptures, we know we're sinful. And we know, really, if we're honest, from our own experience, that we're, we're sinful. So as, as your pastor, let me, let me tell you something. I am sinful. But here's what I've discovered in following Jesus for 30 years. As sinful as you are, you're way worse than you realize. As bad as you think it is, it is way worse than you know. You are worse than you know, and so am I. You guys, it is so bad. In, in, in like, however bad we think it is, it is way worse. In fact, if God allowed us to see how bad it, it really is, we would be wrecked. We, we would not be able to get up off of the floor. So, in his mercy... He shows us just bits at a time. It, it is his kindness. Because it's, it's really, really bad for all of us. It's way worse than we know. And yet, he is so kind. He's so much more loving than we can imagine. Now, let me just tell you how naive uh, about this I've, I've, I was. When, when, I, when I first started following Jesus, I had a few just like glaring. Anybody from any background will say, yeah, that's a problem. I had a few obvious just like issues. So I was getting drunk all the time. I was sleeping around. And my language was, was horrible. I was, I was one of those people that, that somehow found a way to, to work multiple F-bombs into every sentence. 
You know those people? That was me. So you're like, it, that was you? It was me. I, I had all these glaring issues. And so when I started following Jesus, I felt like, you know, I should stop this stuff. Now, I wasn't sure that I could, but I thought, maybe Jesus will help me. Now, that was not the, like the naive part. That was, that was actually the smart part. The, the naive part was that I also thought, you know, if I can somehow stop getting drunk all the time and sleeping around and clean up my language, I'm going to be like a model Christian, right? I mean, basically, if I could do that stuff, I'm basically Mother Teresa. And my, you know, Mother Freaking Teresa back in that day. But so, so as I slowly walked with Jesus over time, I started to discover all this other stuff in me. Like, whoa, there's anger, envy, and bitterness, and lust, and selfishness, and laziness, and greed, and pride. The more I walked with Jesus, the more I discovered darkness in me. So I was growing and over, overcoming sin in very real ways, but every time I started to overcome, it's like weeds. Every time I started to overcome one thing, I discovered a new thing. But it had been there the whole time. I just, I just hadn't been able to see it. And so now, these days, I'm dealing with all kinds of new stuff, and yet, here's what I'm sure of. I'm sure that there is stuff in me that I don't even see yet. And this is how walking with Jesus has gone. And some of you are contemplating walking with Jesus, you're like, that sounds depressing. <laughs> Jason, that sounds horrible. Actually, it's, it's not depressing to me at all. It's beautiful to me, because God is so loving. He's so gracious and so kind to me. But this is what I've discovered. When it comes to sin in your life, however bad you think it is, it is way worse than you know. The good news is, this is not new, and it's not shocking to Jesus. He loves you anyway. Like, he sees all of it in you, and he really, really, really loves you. He's relentlessly devoted to healing you and to making you whole. He is, he is the good shepherd who keeps coming after you when you wander off time and time again. And so here's my point. It is not your goodness that makes you a follower of Jesus. It's his goodness. It's his mercy. It's his relentlessness. Your confidence is, is in his ability to lead, not in your ability to follow. And here's another thing that's confusing for a lot of people. They ask like, well, okay, but why am I not hearing God's voice more? Because I'm sincerely asking and I'm, and I'm listening. Like, like what, what is the career I'm supposed to have? Like, am I supposed to marry this person? Should I, marry, should I move to this place? Should I be in this church? And if God is really speaking to me all the time, why am I not hearing anything about whatever this really big thing is in my life? Like, what's going on? Here's the simple answer. Maybe what feels most important to you doesn't feel most important to him. Maybe God is speaking to you about things that you're not listening for. See, if you come to a place where you trust that he really is the good shepherd, that he's always leading you toward goodness and life, then the most important question becomes, I wonder what it is he wants to talk about, right? I wonder what it is that he cares about. I wonder what, what it means for me to follow his leadership. As opposed to saying, 
well, you know, I've, I, I've got this project that I'm putting together, and I think it's really cool. So, God, I really need you to just, like, make it happen for me. And he's like, well, okay, but that's not what's really important to me. Actually, I, I care about a different thing. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but this thing is pretty great. So, God, I just need you to, like, make my thing happen and, and like, give me a word about the next step I need to take so that my thing will work out. And maybe God is like, okay, I am talking to you. I'm just talking to you about stuff that's more important. Stuff that will lead to more peace and joy and life than you can imagine. Stuff that will give you life from the inside out. Like your project is nice, but there's so much more that I want to talk with you about. So maybe it isn't that God isn't talking to you. Maybe, he, maybe God is talking to you about other stuff. And maybe a whole lot of, of stuff about like who you are to him, about what it means to trust him and love him and be secure in him. Now these things really, really matter because these things shape the core of who you are. These things, if, you, if they become very real to you, they can sustain you through anything. I mean, for me, most of my life projects have gone by the wayside. The ones I was, I was absolutely certain I needed to go a certain way, to be happy, they just didn't work out. But God has met me each step of the way, and he's, and he's loved me. And there is joy and stability and meaning and passion and a whole lot of other stuff. But it has not come to me the way that I thought it would at all. I've learned that you don't, take your, you, like, you don't take your project and give it to Jesus. Like He's not a means to an end. Jesus is an end in himself, and when we see him rightly, we discover that. He is worthy to be worshipped and followed, and this is why so much of following Jesus is just dying. It's just take up your cross and follow me. To find life, you have to die to the stuff that everybody else says is, is so important. And then let Jesus breathe life into you on his terms. Let Jesus show you who he is and let him show you who you are. Now, this is something that I've had to discover over and over again. I learn it once and then I'm in the next situation. There's something new and it feels urgent and it feels very stressful and I don't know what to do about it. And so I'm like, God, I really need your help on this. God, I really need direction on this. And it feels like silence. And I'm going, God, I know you love me and this is really important. I need you here. Jay Pathak um, tells a story about having this experience with God. Jay is the national director of, director of uh, Vineyard USA, Vineyard Churches. Uh, so he's an author, he's a pastor. But he tells a story about this season of his life where he felt like he wasn't hearing from God, just silence. And then he heard something better that he wasn't asking. So Jay and his wife, Danielle, were, were facing a series of challenges, like difficult career decision, an issue with their daughter, some family drama. And they had all these things that were going on, and they were asking God for clarity because they wanted to do the right thing, but they needed God's guidance. But for weeks and weeks, they were just getting silence on all of it. And they're getting frustrated with God, like, come on, God, let's go, Right? And they're reading the Bible. They're doing all the stuff. They're reading the Bible. They're, they're listening to worship. They're praying. They're showing up to church. They're showing up into their smaller group and all that. And, but God isn't speaking to any of their issues, at least nothing that they can discern. So they're asking friends for advice, friends for a word from God, for anything, and it's just silence. So one night, 
Jay is putting his youngest daughter to bed. And I, from the story he tells, I'm guessing she's maybe four or five years old-ish. And this particular child was, was, was kind of the loud, wild, wild one of his children. And if you're, if you're a parent of multiple kids, they are all different, right? They're so different. So this was his, like, energetic, loves the spotlight, puts herself out there kid. And that, that can be a really great thing, but it, like, with any person, it has a shadow side, right? So I love this. He, he nicknamed her Sunshine because he's like, sweetheart, the sun is wonderful, but sometimes it's too bright. <laughs> so, so he had this code with her. Whenever she'd be like over the top, whenever she'd get too loud or just be too much kind of taking over in a room, he'd just quietly start singing. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine, right? And she'd be like, okay, okay, Dad, I get it. And she would like tone it down. Now, I love this story because I can relate to the whole parenting part of this. My kids are all very different. Um, and each personality is beautiful, but also each personality comes with a shadow side, just as mine does. So when Kate was little, our middle school math teacher Kate was little, you could see her little personality developing. And um, Kate has this, like, ironclad conscience. She just has, like, this true north. And she really cares about right and wrong, both for herself and others, and this is, this is like really good, right? But the shadow side as a kid was that she would notice everything that was wrong, especially with everyone else. And her favorite two words were, guess what? And, and since Dora the Explorer was like the kid's show at the time, uh, we made up a little Kate song. Do you guys know the Dora the Explorer? Dora, Dora, Dora. Nice. Well, for us, it was Caitlin, 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 the informer. <laughs> and you guys, to this day, like, one of the things I just admire about Kate is how she stands for justice. Like, she will stand, when she sees injustice, it's like she's got to do something. And she's willing to have very hard conversations with people to make the world better. It is special and it's good. So the song was mostly sung with affection, um, which is why I, I really relate to this, this story with Jay Pathak's, you know, daughter with the You Are My Sunshine. So his daughter's personality to him was endearing. He loved her brightness. So one night, Jay is putting her to bed, and he's singing over her, right? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And he sings the whole thing. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. And so she like, she giggles, and, and they hug, and they say goodnight. And it's just like a sweet moment. So he gets done with that, and he goes and he climbs into bed, and his wife is crying, like sobbing. So he, he thought what most husbands think. What did I do? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> did I do the dishes? <laughs> like, did I forget something important? What's, wait, what's the last thing we talked about? He couldn't think of anything, so he finally asked. He was like, babe, 
what's wrong? And she said, well, I heard you singing. And it occurred to me, no one has ever sang over me like that. I didn't have a dad like you. I'm watching you raise our, our girls and it's hitting me. I didn't have that and I'm never going to. So there's these, these gaps in my soul that I don't know how to fill and I'm just really sad about it. So he tried to do the typical thing that dumb husbands do <laughs> and give a simple fix. So he was like, but babe, you know, God loves you. And she rolled over and she looked at him like, can, okay, can you just not do that? <laughs> Could just stop. So he's like, yeah, okay, well, good night. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so several more weeks go by and they're still praying for God's voice and they still want guidance and the stress level is, is ramping up and they need to make decisions. And so they're having a prayer meeting at church and he's like the pastor, he's in charge. And, and so a friend says, hey, I have this like prophetic friend who just flew into town. Do you want me to bring him to the, to the prayer meeting tonight? And Jay's like, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, maybe he can give me a word from God. I mean, I'll bring Danielle, and maybe this guy can shed light on some of these decisions that we need to make. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced a setting with, like, prophetic people. Um, but sometimes they, like, they, they get a word from God for people, even for strangers. And so, like, in my early years of following Jesus, I went to a vineyard church, which this guy is the, like, national president of. Very charismatic and, um, and this was a very regular thing that would happen there. And I, in the early years, I was like, I don't know what to make of this. I now think this, this very much can be legit. But you have to be careful. But it's, it's legit. And I won't go into much more of that, more than that for today. But I, I've seen this. And, and I bet several of you have. So this prophetic person is at this prayer meeting. And he prayed over Jay. And he said some good stuff, true stuff. But it didn't address any of the issues. So Jay's thinking, well... Maybe he'll say something to Danielle when he gets over to her. So when the guy makes his way over, to he, Jay sneaks over, and he's, he's really listening in. And the guy says to Danielle, I've got a word for you. Like, I, I definitely, there's a word for you, but this is weird. It's really weird. He's like, it's a song, but I don't sing well, so I'll just say it. And he started speaking these words over Danielle. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. So Jay and Daniel are in this church meeting where they're the pastors of the church, and they, like, they fall to the ground and start sobbing, like with an ugly cry. And Jay said the people in the church were like, it wasn't that good. <laughs> I mean, like, you guys are hanging on by a thread. Like, what's going on? But he goes on, he says, he says, only God knew. He says, finally, I get through it. But here's how sinful I am. I'm hugging my wife. Like, isn't that, that's incredible. And we go out to the car, literally 20 minutes later, and I'm like, he didn't even answer any of this stuff. You know, like, what the, 
And he goes on to say, he, he later realized God, did, God didn't give them what they wanted, but he gave them exactly what they needed. And in my experience, this is how it usually works. God leads you into what you really need, not what you think you want. Do you know what you really need? You need to know that you're loved by God and absolutely secure in him. You need to know that he adores you, that he treasures you, no matter what's gone on in your life. No matter what went on last night, he adores you and he treasures you. You need to know that no matter what has or has not gone on in your life up to this point, he is gently calling you to follow him and to let him lead you. And you need to be deeply grounded in the truth of that because you are going to go through stuff that is really hard. Life is not going to work out just the way that you want. But he promises to be near and he promises to care for you. And you guys, after 30 years of following Jesus, I find that his voice speaks a lot more to who I am in him than exactly what it is he wants me to do. So when things with him are working right, what I do just sort of flows out of who I am. I'm a loved son, a your loved daughter, one who is treasured. And we all need to hear his voice afresh again and again on this. He knows you. He knows each of you. And Jesus says, as the good shepherd, he knows each sheep by name. He knows your name. He knows all of your hurts and all of your junk. And he treasures you. And he wants you to draw near to him. Before anything else, you need to hear that from him because everything else will flow out of that. Father in heaven, I cannot imagine how aware you are of all of the darkness that's in me. But I also cannot imagine how or why you love me so deeply. And God, I pray, I just pray for all of us here that more than knowing each right decision we need to make in the, in the path of life about marriage and career and, and all the tough things we have to choose, pray that first and foremost, the foundation of our life would simply be resting in the reality that you love us, that you will lead us, that you forgive us, that you relentlessly pursue us, and that you never, ever give up on us. That you are the shepherd who leaves the 99 behind to, to, want to go after the one that has wandered away. And that's been me again and again. It's been all of us. God, would you help us to, to feel your love and to learn to live in it and from it? 